This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward. Welcome to the Legislature Today, I'm Randy Yowie. We are a little more than a third of the way through the 2024 legislative session and just shy of 2,000 bills have been introduced so far. Most of those will never make it on a committee agenda even be discussed. Health and education issues stood front and center for bills on third reading in the House of Delegates today. The proposals include one of the most talked about issues this session, getting a handle on a statewide wave of school discipline challenges. Lawmakers have already instituted school discipline reforms for grades 6 through 12. House Bill 4776 adds guidelines for students in grades K through 5. Across all grades, public school teachers like Delegate Lori Dittman, a Republican from Braxton County, say a discipline epidemic is prompting teacher turmoil. One section of the bill says when a student's disruptive behavior persists, the student can be transferred to another setting. Dittman says those settings need to be defined and part of a therapeutic program. There's a, a tier process that you can go to to try to um, help with the behaviors of those students, but when everything else has been exhausted, you really need to look at one-on-one -on -one care. Raleigh County is doing a tremendous job of looking at interventions that they can make in the elementary school ages with intensive teaching, one-on-one, -on -one, counseling, therapy, and I'd really like to investigate that model for some of our other schools throughout the state. House Bill 4776 passed 97-0 and likely goes to the Senate Education Committee, where the chair, Senator Amy Grady, a Republican from Mason County and a teacher, says they will refine the bill to address persistent discipline concerns and perhaps propose funding from the opioid settlement coffers. On the health side, House Bill 4376, reintroduced this session, establishes fines for medical facilities failing to properly evacuate operation room smoke, smoke that comes from heat-generating surgical instruments such as those used in electrosurgery or electric cautery. House Health Committee Vice Chair Heather Tully, a Republican from Nicholas County, explained the dangers of not clearing the air. It consists of water vapor, gaseous substances, it can carry toxic chemicals, bacteria, viruses, and tumors. It can obscure the surgical field, and it can be inhaled. Surgical smoke has a noxious odor, can cause physical symptoms such as watery eyes and throat irritation, in addition to having the potential to cause dangerous and threatening, life-threatening respiratory diseases. House Bill 4376 passed 97-0 and again goes to the Senate for confirmation. The House also sent on to the Senate House Bill 4830, refining teacher training and development, and House Bill 4838, addressing teacher shortages by requiring county boards of education to provide long-term substitute teachers, such as retired teachers, concessions, like not affecting their monthly retirement benefits. Today, the Senate sent seven bills over to the House. 
Some notable bills include ones that would protect the personal information of healthcare workers, would add transparency and accountability to state-run facilities, and prohibit patient brokering by drug recovery organizations. Brianna Heaney has more. Senate Bill 474 creates a new incident review team to review an incident or death of a child under the care of the Department of Human Services, formerly part of the Department of Health and Human Resources, or in the case of someone who has worked with DHS within the last 12 months. One of the authors of the bill, Senator Mike Wolfel, a Democrat from Cabell County, says he hopes this is part of a new day for accountability of DHS. So what we're trying to do is get to best practices. That is, how did this child die? What were the circumstances? And if you, if you look at the statute, at the bill, it has uh, an array. We have seven different uh, members on this team with different backgrounds. So I really think it's a way we get to best practices. He says he is optimistic that after the division of DHHR and the implementation of the new leadership, the system that works with children in foster care and the courts will work better than before. Accountability and transparency are important, but it's not a punitive measure. This is a remedial measure. I want to make sure that once, if something does happen to a child, uh, one of our most vulnerable citizens, uh, that we remediate that situation so that it's not replicated. So uh, it's not meant to be punitive, uh, but remedial. Senate Bill 475 seeks to outlaw patient brokering by some drug rehabilitation organizations in the state. Senator Wolfel says that patient brokering can lead to human trafficking in the state and that many patients at these recovery facilities can be asked to work for free or have their entitlement programs abused by the facility. I want to make sure everybody uh, Everybody agrees that every, every member of this Senate is in favor of recovery. We would give a hand up to anybody that's sincerely in recovery. Likewise, as the Senator mentioned, re righteous recovery residences where the aims are, are righteous and not based on greed. Patient brokering is, I'll give you an example, and the senator from Wood certainly knows what I'm speaking about. Patient brokering is where you line a bus from East St. Louis, Illinois, you load it up, and you move it to West Virginia. And you bring all those folks in here, convicted felons, and you exploit them. And when the benefits are gone, they're out on the street with no way home, and obviously there's a likelihood of relapse. So we see patient brokering addressed in this bill and we see human trafficking addressed in the bill, which is real. Many healthcare workers license information is available online and some of that information can contain highly personal information, like someone's personal phone number or home address. Senate Bill 477 seeks to address that. One of the authors of the bill, Tom Takubo, a Republican from Kanawha County, says the bill would keep healthcare workers safer and reduce the amount of threats doctors in the state receive on their personal phones or at their homes. Yeah, I mean, we see all the time where uh, people are showing up uh, that have psychiatric illness to the doctor's homes, they're threatening their families, they're uh, threatening the nurses, they're doing all this and it just protects their homes. They'll still have their places of employment that's listed, obviously, but not their, their personal one. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, 
I'm Brianna Heaney in Charleston. This week, the state's two flagship academic institutions, West Virginia and Marshall Universities, enjoyed separate featured days at the Capitol. For one school, the growing public, private, and academic partnership and workforce development was the leading theme on display. Adorned in blue and gold, many of the Capitol Rotunda displays focused on WVU's technology advancement, a key component to the state's desire to develop a workforce ready to meet the demands of a high-tech future. However, WVU President Gordon Gee says, contrary to popular opinion, a WVU liberal arts education has not taken a back seat to workforce development. No, we're a very balanced institution. We have 300 plus programs across the spectrum, but we think that it's important whether you're a liberal arts graduate or whether you're an engineering or STEM graduate that you stay in West Virginia and, and uh, take the jobs we have here. We have over 30,000 jobs available for young people and so that is really our focus. We can't grow West Virginia without growing uh, our workforce. Green and White took flight as the Marshall University Thundering Herd showed off its academic prowess. Marshall also has an academic focus on workforce development, but Robert Bookwalter, Dean of the Marshall College of Liberal Arts says, core liberal arts classes lay the foundation for nearly any workforce career. Look at surveys uh, of employers for the skills, the talents and competencies that they look for the most in hiring. They're going to list communication, good writing, collaboration, teamwork, leadership, uh, creative problem solving, decision making, and all of those things are fundamentally communication activities, reasoning activities, critical thinking activities, and, and that, that is at the core of all of the liberal arts programs, certainly at Marshall and really at any institution. Guy does agree there are two tiers to academic workforce development. The high-tech tier, a high-demand degree in cybersecurity, for example, and the vocational trades tier, the skilled jobs on the ground that combine tech and tools at places like Nucor Steel and Form Energy. But some, some jobs are really uh, available for people who really just want to go out and, uh, and make certain that they have a good uh, opportunity in life. Other jobs require a lot of education, and you know the thing that is very important about West Virginia is the fact that we've crossed the digital divide with LG coming here. We have both hands-on jobs with, uh, with uh, our steel mills coming, our, uh, our uh, energy programs, but now we have cybersecurity jobs and jobs that are unusual for an uh, energy state. Gee says people can expect to see a lot more public-private educational partnerships in West Virginia's future. I think it will grow because of the fact that no one has enough money to do everything, so you, so what we have to do is we all have to draft off of each other. Besides, I think it's important, you know, and, and, and with the private sector, they tell us what they need, and the public universities then need to produce, and it's that partnership that I think will prevail. Not to be dismissed, Bookwalter says the fine arts programs at Marshall, or any higher education institution for that matter, directly relate to the reasons for developing a career, earning a wage, and enjoying community life. We wouldn't want to live in a community that had no theater, that had no music, that had no choral, that had no art museum. Uh, what kind of community would we be living in if we didn't, if we didn't meet our aesthetic needs as well as our... Um, work needs, our career needs, our, you know, paying the mortgage and uh, putting gas in the car. Many say the supposed growing dichotomy of academic workforce development and liberal arts must become an educational synergy to face the career challenges that lie ahead. 
for the last several years, legislation has been introduced that would make it illegal to discriminate against someone based on the texture and style of their hair. This legislation is typically referred to as the Crown Act. Every year, that legislation fails. Senator Mike Caputo, a Democrat from Marion County, has reintroduced two bills on the issue already this session, and Delegate Anitra Hamilton, a Democrat from Monongalia County, has a version ready to introduce in the House of Delegates. Earlier today, reporter Brianna Heaney spoke with both of them to get their perspective. Hello, my name is Brianna Heaney, and here we have um, Senator um, Mike Caputo from Marion County. And you've already introduced two bills to the Senate. And then we have Anitra Hamilton, um, a Democrat from Monagalia County, who plans to introduce um, some bills to the House. Um, here we're talking about the Crown Act, um, which is a law that creates a space um, where people who wear their hair naturally aren't experiencing race-based discrimination. Can you guys talk to me about some of the bills that you guys are planning to propose or have proposed and why they are important? Well, there's two bills that I know of in the Senate, mine and, and Chairman Charlie Trump, uh, which made me very happy to see uh, you know, a man of his caliber introduce that bill. So you know, we, we need to talk about this. This is real. We've got examples of uh, basketball players being suspended. Uh, because of uh, the hairstyle they choose to wear. We've got examples of women uh, that just get discriminated in the workplace and, and put on you know, back row jobs because of their hairstyle, and it just shouldn't be. I mean, we, we just gotta learn to let people be who they wanna be. Uh, you know, I, don't, I don't see anything really hard about that. It's, it's, not a, it's not a difficult decision for me. So. And I'm introducing a bill as well, dealing with the Crown Act, and as Senator said, it's so important. Um, it affects, this is the total essence of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, being able to be who we are, express who we are, and it has zero to do with our abilities, our talents, our intellectual skill, um, and as Senator said, it should not and ought not be. Yeah, just plain and simple. I mean, 24 states already have this, from what I understand, and each may be correct me if I'm wrong, and some cities in West Virginia have passed city ordinances, so to speak, to, to make sure this discriminatory practice does not happen in their city. So, you know, we need to think more about inclusion rather than exclusion. You know, it's a shame that we even have to waste time down here to talk about things that just should be uh, uh, normal to people, you know. So I hope to see it become law. It's been, uh, uh, I've introduced it for several years. Uh, I've co-sponsored it when I was in the House. I've introduced it as a lead sponsor on the Senate side. It's not made a committee meeting yet. We did have it on an agenda last year or the year before, I can't remember, but the chairman, for whatever reason, pulled the bill. So we never had to have the discussion. And we need to have the discussion. I think it's also important because hairstyle, hair texture, it dates back to our ancestry. So our history is who we are. Um, not only is it a part of our expression, it's core to who we are as a person. And I think that having ways to discriminate based on hair, hair texture, hairstyles, um, it's just those minute ways to further divide us um, as a people, as a nation. I'm proud to say Mon County did, was one of the ones who passed the ordinance for the Crown Act. And I think that as West Virginia, if we're really saying the motto, choose West Virginia, we have to uphold you know, the standards to say that you are welcome here, you are included here. And looking at different cases, even around the country, where kids are being placed in in-school suspension 
they're having to um, attend school at an outside facility because of the length or the style of their hair is absolutely ridiculous. They're, they're losing valuable education time. And we know here in West Virginia, education is one of the sore points of where we're trying to get our reading scores, our math scores up. So I feel like we're focusing on the wrong things. We're clearly focusing on the wrong things. And when it comes to hair, we also have to realize the standard of beauty that was set. And it's very unfair um, to try to conform everybody to a standard of beauty um, you know, that may not apply to especially women of color, black women. Um, and it has health benefits. You know, straightening our hair, there has been many cases to show where women are um, being stricken with cancer, um, the psychological effects. So this bill is so important in so many ways. It's just not about appearance, but it's really about the self-esteem, the confidence, and the ability of this state to say, we want more people here and more people that looks particularly like me. Yeah, you talked about standards of beauty. Why is it important that hairstyles outside of a Eurocentric um, standard of beauty are protected in the workplace? Absolutely. It is so important because you don't want, there's no way for all of us to be the same. And if we're going to embrace diversity, diversity comes in many shapes and forms. Skills, talents, um, and I, being able to express yourself even through the hair um, is important, as I said before, to who we are. You know, and it, I shouldn't have to conform to a standard that I do not identify with. You know, so it's so important to be able to embrace all forms of, of beauty you know, and accept it for what it is. The delegate states it so well. I, I don't think I could add anything to that, but I want to focus on one word that she said, ridiculous. It's ridiculous that this still happens in the workplace, particularly with people of color that, that get sent home or get substandard jobs because of the way they choose to wear their hair. Uh, ridiculous. I don't know how many times I can say that. It's, uh, uh, you know, our motto has always been mountaineers are always free until somebody don't think you should be free to be who you are. And that's sad in West Virginia. So I just hope this bill gets a fair and just hearing and we can bring the delegate before the committee. And I'm sure that we can all find examples that want to come and testify and tell the committee why this piece of legislation is important. It is important to move West Virginia forward and, and make sure everybody is treated equally. It's very important. So we just, we just want to have our, our day in court, so to speak. Let's uh, let's have the let's have it on an agenda and let's have the debate. Mm. What are some headwinds that these bills face in the legislature? Well, I've been here a long time, and sometimes headwinds are very silent, and they're done behind the door, and you don't get to hear what actually is being said, but. Obviously, this bill has had a lot of political headwinds from someone or some entities. Uh, and I don't know who that is, because if I did, I would absolutely <laughs> expose them right now. But the, it, it has always met some type of silent opposition and never made it to an agenda. So uh, maybe, maybe the delegate could have a better answer for that. Well, being you know, new here, um, one of my first questions was, what are the oppositions? Why is it so hard for this bill to pass? Um, and one of the things that I found is that a lot of 
people feel that passing the Crown Act will increase litigation with discrimination cases. But that's simply not so. This, this legislation only adds clarity to the law, and hopefully it will help guide employers on having better grooming policies in our places of employment. Um, you, we can already file a case. You know, so this enacting the Crown Act does not, you know, open the door to anything that isn't happening already. Um, another issue um, that has been found is that they feel like um, places of employment in schools will lose the ability to regulate hair. And that's just not the case. And it's simply not the case. Um, and, you know, coinciding to what you said about the standard of beauty, you know, when you look at the, to the, ho the whole picture, um, Women are able to highlight their hair, they're able to dye their hair, but then it's a problem for hair that grows strictly out of our head. It makes no sense. It absolutely makes no sense. So, you know, those are two of the oppositions that I've heard of, um, you know, in doing my research as to why some people are uncomfortable with um, voting for the bill, but those two really are just, they're nonsense. They're nonsense because Clearly, we can file a case today, so it doesn't open the door to anything. It just brings more clarity. Yeah, I think it would. I think it would absolutely bring clarity, and I think it could reduce litigation. Yeah. Uh, you know, when employers know that this is the law, uh, whatever their inner feelings may be or not be, that they need to follow the law. Yeah, I believe it could reduce litigation, and it's just uh, it's something that I think is uh, long overdue uh, in the workplace and in schools and what have you. I mean. Who decides what hairstyle uh, we like and we don't like? Who's to decide, Bree, that my, your hair's too long, I don't want you to come to work. Hey, your hair's too short, I don't want you to come to work. Or you wear your hair now. Who is the decider here? You know, they, that, that decision should be left up to the individual. Not the employer, not the coach, not the principal. Should be left up to the individual. Okay. What message do laws like this, if our bills like this, if made into law, um, send to people of color in the state? I think it sends a message, number one, that we see you, we value you, and we support you. Um, and as Senator said, it's a shame that we have to put a law in place to demonstrate that. But as we can see, it's needed. Um, a lot of times you can go in places and when comments are made, policies are made, you don't feel valued, you don't feel respected. And this is, you know, outside of your educational um, value, it's outside of, you know, all of the accomplishments that you have made. You're really feel, made to feel less than because of something that was naturally given to you. So if we want to choose West Virginia and we want to attract more people here, more businesses here, we want our state to grow and be prosperous, then we have to ensure that we cover all of our bases to make sure that everybody is welcomed here and we embrace diversity, we're serious about inclusion, and we're gonna stand firm on equity. Both of us represent an area that has West Virginia University in it. I have Fairmont State University. We get to talk to students all the time. Mm -hmm. And the biggest problem they have with West Virginia is inclusivity. They, they feel we're not an inclusive state and we need to work harder on that. And that's the folks I want to listen to. That's the future. That's mm -hmm. the folks that I want to stay here after they graduate. I want them to raise their families here. So we have to show them that they are welcome here. Maybe they look a little different. Maybe they love a little different. Maybe they think a little different. But you know what? We have to show them that they are welcome in West Virginia, that we're all people, and uh, we want to just, just, just 
let everybody be themselves. And, and that's what the young folks tell us all the time, all the time. I advise two groups at WVU. And one of the groups is 100 black women at WVU. And several of the young ladies, they do hair, they um, do braids, they do a lot of different things. And it has brought such a culture of acceptance because as Senator said, a lot of students come, they don't want to stay because they don't feel it. But it has really changed the culture at WVU. These students thrive, they love their appearance, but most of all, they're at the top of their classes. You know, they're gaining scholarships. It has absolutely nothing to do with their hair, but their hair impacts their confidence and their ability to feel included at West Virginia University. Thank you guys so much for sitting and talking with me today. It was our pleasure. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you guys. One last note, in last night's show, we misidentified Senator Mike Stewart and Senator Tom Takubo. We'd like to apologize to both men for the mistake. Thank you for spending this time with us. Catch the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting covers the session daily in our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our news site at wvpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and Senate on the West Virginia Channel. I'm Randy Yoey. For everyone here at WVPB, thanks for joining us. Have a great evening. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward. Join West Virginia Public Broadcasting for the nightly coverage of the 2024 legislative session. From in-depth reports to floor debates, committee action, and newsmaker interviews, the legislature today brings you diverse opinions and analysis. Legislators, stakeholders, and advocates all get a seat at the table discussing Mountain State policy and politics. Weeknights at 6 on West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Join West Virginia Public Broadcasting for a special screening of the new docuseries Gospel on Thursday, February 1st at 6 p.m. at West Virginia State University's Davis Fine Arts Center. We will have a special performance by the Martin Luther King Jr. Mill Chorus. There will also be a panel discussion about the rich history of black spirituality through sermon and song. This event is free and open to the public. We hope that you'll join us.